great. You've been loading up on things from Walmart? Yeah, I used my new Capital One Walmart Rewards card. It earns unlimited 5% back on everything I buy from Walmart online. Say what? 5% back. Say what? 5% back. Say what now? 5% back. With what? The Capital One Walmart Rewards card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart online on top of Walmart's everyday low prices. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One N.A. You are listening to the Already Gone podcast, sharing stories of the missing, the lost, the mysterious, and the murdered. Before we begin, I would like to thank Brittany for suggesting this subject for the podcast. Thank you, Brittany. The Chicago area is no stranger to brutal murders. This is a community that claims John Wayne Gacy and Richard Speck as their own. If you go back nearly 100 years, the notorious Leopold and Loeb killed a young boy named Bobby Franks here in 1924. The list wouldn't be complete without mentioning Al Capone. These murders are known, we have their names, and they face justice in one way or another for their crimes. Today's story is different. It's incomplete. February 2nd, 2008. It was a gray and cold morning in the Chicago suburb of Tinley Park. The wind was blowing. A mix of snow and sleet filled the air. Going on now at Lane Bryant and LaneBryant.com. Fashion for every day. Style just for you. The Lane Bryant store in Tinley Park has only been there for a couple of years. The shopping plaza was newer, and unfortunately, the sad state of the economy in 2007 meant the complex had many vacancies. Rhoda McFarland managed this location, and she'd come in that morning to help prepare for an upcoming winter sale. That Saturday, she was working with a woman we will call Martha. They unlocked the entrance at 10 a.m., and shoppers who were willing to brave the frigid winter weather started arriving. A man also entered the store that morning bearing a sheaf of papers and explaining that he was there to make a delivery. Rhoda was talking with him and trying to figure out what delivery he meant. The store wasn't expecting anything. She even called another Lane Bryant location inquiring about the delivery. While Rhoda was busy with the delivery man, Martha continued to greet and assist customers. The man, a husky, light-skinned African-American, turned away from Rhoda for a moment. Rhoda hesitated. Suddenly, this didn't feel right. The delivery man pulled a gun from his pocket and ordered her to empty the registers. Not the best plan to rob a store right after it opens, when the registers don't have much cash in them. But he had a gun, and she did as he asked. At this point, he'd been in the store at least 15 minutes. In addition to Rhoda and Martha, there were shoppers in the store. The man ordered them all to the back room. He went through their purses and wallets, helping himself to cash. Again, this isn't a particularly good plan for robbing a store, waiting for customers to trickle in and stealing from them as they arrive. One of the women fought him and was rewarded with a blow to the face, perhaps with the butt of the gun. He produced a roll of duct tape from his pocket and ordered the women to tape each other's wrists. Between the handgun and the duct tape, he'd arrived prepared for the task at hand. Terrified and in shock, the women cooperated. If they hesitated, he threatened them with the gun. As each woman is bound, he orders them to lay on the floor, face down, on their stomach. 
He stepped back on the retail floor for a moment where he gathered the undergarments from a display and then placed one over the head of each woman. This obscured their view of him and of each other. It also added a sexual and demeaning angle to the robbery. It's 10.43 a.m. While he's out of the back room, Rhoda McFarlane, the store manager, took this opportunity to use her Bluetooth earpiece to place a call to 911. It's not easy to hear her as she's whispering. She's trying not to be heard by the attacker. 911 emergency. Where at? Stay on the line. Stay on the line. Let me get you to Tinley Park. Don't hang up. This is only part of the 911 call. Tinley Park Police have never released an unedited version of this call. Unfortunately, the robber returns to the back room and realizes what Rhoda has done, that she's called for help. I see you, he shouts. I'm losing it. The 911 dispatcher did not hesitate. She sent an officer immediately, and fortunately, there was a police car sitting post in a nearby parking lot, no more than 200 yards away. Martha would later tell investigators that it was about 30 seconds after Rhoda's call that she heard the wail of sirens as police responded. Realizing that police are on the way, the robber, in a fit of rage or confusion or fear, does the unthinkable. He uses the 40 caliber Glock to shoot each of the six women, execution style, in the back of the head. Except for Rhoda. She's shot first, one bullet in her forehead for placing the call to 911. He pockets the gun, takes the money he's collected, and calmly exits the store. It's 10.45 a.m. At 10.46 a.m., the first officer arrives on scene. He isn't sure what to expect. But surely, as he enters the deserted sales floor and makes his way to the back room, he is not expecting to find a pile of bodies. The Tinley Park officer radios for help. An onlooker watches in disbelief as multiple ambulances respond and paramedics rush in with gurneys. Six gurneys are wheeled into the store. Five of them leave, unused. Miraculously, there is one survivor of the bloody scene inside the store. Martha, the clerk who opened with Rhoda that morning, has survived. Apparently, she jerked her head away at the last minute, meaning the bullet enters her neck and not her skull. The injury is described as a severe graze. Her condition is serious, but she's alive and cooperating with investigators. Within minutes, the area is swarming with police. The entire shopping center is on lockdown. The mayor of Tenley Park has been notified of the brutal crime that happened in his city. Police from Mokina, Will County, Oak Forest, Orland Park, Frankfurt, and other nearby communities respond to assist. The Illinois State Police respond, as well as Chicago Police, who dispatch their helicopter to search for the perpetrator. I'm certain that when the mutual aid agreements were put in place, they never dreamed it would be for a situation like this. When Ed Zabrocki, the mayor of Tenley Park, arrives, he's met by police chief Mike O'Connell, who greeted him, his eyes filled with tears. We've got five dead, he tells him. Five. 
Investigators push aside their horror and focus on gathering evidence and finding the man who brought death to their quiet community. They focus on the work. Cars exiting the plaza are stopped and searched. Stores are locked down and investigators comb through the businesses, detaining anyone who could be involved. In a nearby Target store, an African-American man with braided hair is taken aside for questioning, but soon released. It seems that the perpetrator was one step ahead of the police, leaving the shopping plaza in the moments before law enforcement locked it down. Dive teams are brought in to check nearby ponds. They're hoping to find a murder weapon. Officers perform grid searches of the fields, freeway ramps, alleys, and ditches. Hotlines are set up, and hundreds of tips come in. Tinley Park Police Commander Rick Bruno says they have a lot of evidence to go through, including a fingerprint and blood evidence from the perpetrator. There were also shell casings left at the scene. These were sent to London, England, to be examined using new, in 2008, technology. Investigators are optimistic. Martha was talking, providing both a timeline and a good description of the suspect. Light-skinned, African-American male, age 25 to 35, about 5 foot 9 inches tall, braided hair with light green beads. He was husky, over 200 pounds. He wore a gray skull cap, a dark three-quarter length winter coat, and jeans with a large G on the rear pocket. The gun was a 40 caliber Glock. He left behind fingerprints, shell casings, and his voice was captured on the 911 call. I've read reports that he also left behind a baseball cap. While the area is gone over inch by inch in an attempt to locate the shooter, police begin the work of identifying the bodies and notifying family members. Once this grim task is complete, they delve deeply into the background of each woman. Is there someone in their life who could want them dead? Looking at the victims, it certainly doesn't seem that way. Store manager Rhoda McFarland is 42 years old, an ordained minister who enjoyed working retail. Connie Wolfolk, 37, worked for the nearby village of Park Forest. A mother of two, one of her sons had spina bifida, and she spent almost all of her free time caring for him. She had plans coming up that called for a new outfit. Wolfolk had blood under her fingernails and may have been punched or hit during the initial robbery. Her brothers described her as a fighter, someone who would have tried hard to survive for her two boys. 22-year-old Sarah Zafransky was looking for work clothes that morning. She was a recent college graduate and worked as a paralegal. A scholarship is started at Oak Forest High School in her memory. Carrie Chiuso, age 33, worked at Homewood Flossmore High School. She was liked and trusted by her students. She was a 1993 graduate of that school as well. 34-year-old Jennifer Bishop was visiting the area from South Bend, Indiana. Her husband was at a conference, and she was entertaining herself that morning while he was occupied. She left behind three young children, one of them an infant. None of these women lived a high-risk lifestyle. None of them expected to meet their deaths while shopping on a bitterly cold Saturday morning. Martha, the lone survivor, was 33 years old, recently divorced and in nursing school. 
She's able to provide police with a timeline of events and explain what happened in the store that morning. It appears she was conscious when police arrived and gave a description of the perpetrator, which included wide braids, green beads, and a gray knit hat. The community rallied. In a matter of days, a reward of $100,000 was posted for information leading to his capture. Not his prosecution, mind you, his capture. That is a serious amount of cash and should have had people turning him in. Meanwhile, police searched a nearby field inch by inch, hoping to find evidence. When the snow melts, they'll look again. Perhaps the gun could be found. By Sunday morning, flags in Tinley Park were at half-mast. The shopping center was filled with memorials to the women whose lives were taken in such a shocking and brutal manner. Five white crosses trimmed with red roses perch in a mound of snow. As details were released, names and photos were attached to each cross on the makeshift memorial. The community was mourning, but they were hopeful. Surely this killer would be caught. Fresh in their memory was the Brown's Chicken Restaurant Massacre of 1993. Some background on the Brown's Massacre. On January 8, 1993, close to closing time, two men walked into the Brown's Restaurant in Palatine, Illinois, which is about an hour north of our story. They robbed the restaurant, then proceeded to murder all seven staff members, leaving the bullet-ridden bodies in a walk-in freezer. It took more than a decade, but the truth was revealed. The killers were turned into police, and in May of 2007, Juan Luna had been found guilty for his role in the massacre. His cohort, James Degorski, would go on trial for his role in the massacre in 2009. Within days of the Lane Bryant shooting, a sketch and description of the suspect was plastered on billboards all around the city. The Lane Bryant perpetrator made some strange choices, such as robbing a business that did primarily credit card sales right after they opened. Becoming agitated and aggressive is the mark of a disorganized criminal. He seemed like someone who should be easy to find. He also left behind an eyewitness to his crime, a fingerprint, and DNA beneath the fingernails of a victim, plus the shell casings and a possible description of his car, a dark-colored, small SUV, probably a Honda, Kia, or Toyota, based on where the license plate sat on the rear of the vehicle. A task force was assembled, and they had one goal, find this guy bring him in. Or bring her in. There's a great deal of speculation that the perpetrator in this case is a woman. However, a DNA sample was taken from the scene, and I would imagine that if the crime was committed by a woman, police would have mentioned that at some point. In the summer of 2008, investigators went to Texas to explore a connection between store manager Rhoda McFarlane and a Joliet, Illinois church she'd severed ties with in the months prior to the shooting. The pastor of the Joliet church had recently relocated to Austin, Texas. Alas, what should have been a relatively easy case to crack proved anything but. The store itself remained closed and labeled a crime scene for several months. In September of 2008, the FBI arrived to help the task force. Perhaps they hoped that fresh eyes could bring new information to the case. In April of 2009, 
14 months after the incident. Police release the crime scene. All clothing in the store is donated to two local charities, one called Together We Cope, Benefiting Area Homeless, and the Crisis Center for South Suburbia, which assists women who are victims of domestic violence. Tinley Park Mayor Ed Zabraki assures the community that these items are from the front of the store and they're still good items, many in their original package. Anything tied to the crime scene or in evidence is excluded from the donation. Each February, the press runs an anniversary story about the murders, and each February, people wait and hope and pray for closure and for resolution to this brutal crime. At one point, the police released an edited version of the 911 call, which isolates the voice of the perpetrator. I will play that for you now. Police say the male voice belongs to the killer. They hope someone can identify him. 911 The first voice heard on the tape is one of the victims, Roto McFarland. 911 emergency. Police enhanced and edited the tape to isolate the voice of the gunman. In 2013, TJ Maxx moved into the long vacant former Lane Bryant space at the Tinley Park shopping area. Their parent company makes a $10,000 donation to Together We Cope on behalf of the victims. One of the really heartening things about this case is that everyone stepped up to help. Law enforcement agencies worked together to investigate the crime. When surveillance tapes from a nearby business were located, NASA agreed to help enhance the video and provide a better look at the two vehicles who left the area in front of the store between 10.45 a.m. and 10.50 a.m. that morning. One was a small, dark-colored SUV and the other a sedan. The Lane Bryant store was not equipped with video surveillance. Unfortunately, they were not able to determine a license plate for either vehicle. Clues from as far away as London, England were followed up on, with Scotland Yard stepping in to investigate. Not to mention the fingerprint technology British investigators used hoping to isolate evidence on the shell casings. Police report that more than 8,000 tips were called in on this case. They've interviewed hundreds of people watched hours of footage, analyzed the 911 tape, and reconstructed the crime scene. They are no closer to solving the case today than they were in 2008. In 2011, Tinley Park Police Chief Mike O'Connell died at age 60 from complications during heart surgery. In May of 2015, Tinley Park Mayor Ed Zabraki retired. He says he is haunted by the Lane Bryant murders, but remains confident that the case will be solved one day. February 2016 marks eight years since the murders. Tinley Park Police Detective Ray Violetto believes there are people out there who know the identity of the person that did this. Violetto, a 17-year veteran with the department, has been involved with the investigation almost from the beginning. 
Maurice Hamilton, the brother of store manager Rhoda McFarland, who bravely called 911 during the robbery, says that he's waiting for someone to do the right thing. I want to spend a couple of minutes on theories. The first theory, which I mentioned earlier, is that the killer wasn't a man, but a woman. A husky, five-foot, nine-inch tall woman. I'm not sure how much stock to put in this one. I would think that if the perp were female, Tinley Park Police would be all over it. Also, if you listen to the voice on the 911 recording, it sounds distinctly male to me. Three names surfaced as being possible suspects, primarily because they bear a resemblance to the police sketch and are the right size and build. One is Mona Nelson of Texas. She bears a strong resemblance to the sketch. Nelson was arrested in 2010 in the kidnapping and blowtorch death, yes, I said blowtorch death, of a Houston, Texas 10-year-old. In 2013, she was sentenced to life in prison without parole after a bench trial. Jesse Matthew of Virginia was also mentioned as a possibility. In March 2016, he pled guilty in a Virginia courtroom to the murders of Hannah Graham and Morgan Harrington. He is suspected in several other rapes and disappearances in Virginia. Corey Frierson is another name that's come up in relation to this case. Frierson, who is from Richton Park, Illinois, is a black male, 25 years of age, 6 feet tall, and 200 pounds. He is a light-skinned African-American man with freckles and is known to wear his hair in dreadlocks. He was wanted for bank robbery and was taken into custody in 2010. I'm going to assume that he's been ruled out in this case as well. The three suspects I mentioned all share characteristics with the description of the perpetrator. While police do not yet know who the killer is, they have his fingerprint and his DNA on file. Hopefully, as technology evolves, law enforcement will catch up with the killer. To date, the city of Tinley Park has spent $2 million investigating this crime. So why hasn't this brutal murderer been caught? It appears that he's just lucky. His fingerprints are not on file, neither is his DNA. I would like to know if his DNA was tested against familial matches in the system. Someone has to know who he is. Another thing to consider is that this shopping center was located right off the freeway. Once he was in his vehicle and made it out of the shopping center before police cordoned it off and stopped anyone from leaving, he could have gone anywhere. North into the city of Chicago, south to Indiana, or deeper into Illinois. He appears to be a very lucky man. I, for one, am hoping that his luck will run out and soon. If you have information about the case, there is still a $100,000 reward available. Contact the Tinley Park Police. Their contact information is posted on our website, www.alreadygonepodcast.com. For those of you who have taken the time to leave a positive five-star review, I thank you. In August, I'd like to thank Molly Red, Celtic Thistle, E78528, and yes, I'm working on creating longer episodes. 
FGSUCCHSVF, Alpha Boys, Ryan EW, and Ava 99. Thank you for listening and thank you for taking the time to leave a review. If you have not subscribed, please do so. Tell your friends about the show and remember your reviews help others find the podcast and draw attention to these unresolved cases. I am so thankful for all of your feedback, both positive and constructive. I need to also thank Luke Superior for providing the music you hear each week. If you are in or around Kansas City, Missouri, I am attending the Generation Y podcast meetup on Saturday, September 17th, 2016. I would love to see you there. Thank you for listening to the Already Gone podcast, and please be safe. from Walmart? Yeah, I used my new Capital One Walmart Rewards card. It earns unlimited 5% back on everything I buy from Walmart online. Say what? 5% back. Say what? 5% back. Say what now? 5% 5 back. back. With what? The Capital One Walmart Rewards card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart online on top of Walmart's everyday low prices. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One N.A.